All right, if you've got a Bible, could you open it to Genesis chapter 42? Genesis chapter 42. We're going to get back into uh, the story of Joseph, which we've been looking at for a number of weeks. Before we dive into that, I don't know what you're like as a person. Um, you always hear in church things like um, you've got all sorts of gifts and skills that God has given to you. I'm aware that God has given me certain gifts and skills, but I'm also aware on the flip side of that, there are certain gifts and skills I do not have or I haven't developed or they're just not my forte. And one of them is, is fixing things. I'm not particularly good when it comes to kind of the DIY practical side. I'll have a go and I can do very low-level stuff, but anything that requires a kind of bit more skill um, and dedication is just not my bag. But that's okay because God has blessed me with gaffer tape. Now, gaffer tape is a wonderful thing. It is a gift from Almighty God for people like me to just fix stuff. To just, it's, it's, if something's broken, something's not right, nine times out of ten, gaffer tape will cover it. Um, sorry? And cable ties. Well, we're going to focus on the, um, on the gaffer tape. We've got a trampoline at home, which we bought uh, for... Our son's second birthday, he's now five, and we've got, we had another baby along the way, two boys, and they love it. They bounce on it literally every day, come rain or shine. And so two little boys bouncing on our trampoline. Over a while, it gets some wear and tear. We've also got a cat. The cat likes to sleep on the, the round, soft bit. He also likes to you know, sharpen his claws on the nice foam poles that hold up the netting. And so after a while, our, our kind of trampoline was looking a little bit worse to wear. There were kind of rips on it and bits, but I thought, that's fine. I have gaffer tape. And so if you go and look at our trampoline now, there is an awful lot of gaffer tape on it, holding bits together, making sure the, the, the actual integrity of the, um, of the structure is still there. But there are other bits are all being held together by gaffer tape. We also have, mentioning our cat, our cat likes to let us know he is constantly malnourished. And the way he does that is he looks through our window at our back door at us with those big cat eyes, like, you haven't fed me, you know, and I'm dying of starvation out here. And we have a very large, well-fed cat, but he looks at you like this. And the way he kind of expresses that to us is he kind of pours the door. And when it's glass, it's fine, but around the edge of the glass, you've got the sealant to hold the double glazing in, and he gets his claws in there and likes to start to kind of pick that. And I'm like, mm, gaffer tape. I put gaffer tape up the sides. He can't claw it because I've gaffer tape around it, so the back door's got these long lines of gaffer tape around the edge of the glass, so we can't claw the sealant and ruin the seal on it. And then we had just in, um, just over the winter, we've got two small boys, and so they have to go outside and run, regardless of the weather. It could be rainy, it could be sub-zero. I don't care, they're going outside. And so we, we wrapped them up over the winter, and they went out, and they were just running around the garden. Then Asher, our youngest, found one of our sort of little plastic tennis rackets, uh, and he was running around and he found some ice on things and he was bashing the ice. So Mel thought this was very cute. And he came to our kitchen, um, our patio table, our plastic patio table, and there was ice across the top of the table because the, the water had collected and it had um, kind of frozen over. And he started bashing that. To which I said to Melanie, who was out supervising our children at this point, I want to make that a bit clear, don't let him do that because it will break the table. To which Mel said, oh, don't be silly, he's like three. You know, what damage could he do? Little knowing that at sub-zero temperatures, plastic gets quite brittle, doesn't it? So he's whacking the top, breaking the ice, and what happened? <laughs> Down the middle of our plastic table, there's a break, and Mel gives me that look of, you were right, I was wrong. And I said, just for the record, I made her say it. You know, it's, it's, I think that's healthy for a marriage relationship. But so we've now got a split in the middle of our plastic table, which is not good. And I was like, do you know what I did? 
gaffer sorts it out. There's no leaks in that table now. That table is as good as new. But that's my kind of, my, my take on things is when in doubt, gaffer it. If it doesn't work with gaffer, I usually phone my dad. Um, but that's what I do. But we're going to be looking a bit about how we gaffer-tape things today, how we fix things up, how we mend what has been broken. And if we remember the story of Joseph, you've been with us. Joseph, a young man, we meet him when he's 17. He's one of multiple brothers, but he's the favorite of his father. His father is not the best father. He plays favorites. And Joseph, as part of this family that God has chosen in the book of Genesis, are inheritors of God's promises. God has spoken to the great-great-grandfather, Abraham, down through his son Isaac, through his son Jacob, through his son Joseph, the many brothers there. They're inheritance of great promises from God. He says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you and make you a mighty nation. And we pick up the story with, with um, Joseph and he's this young man and he has these dreams of people, his family bowing down to him in essence. And being a young man, a little on the arrogant side, he just tells his family, you're all going to bow down to me one day. His brothers don't like him anyway because he's daddy's favourite, so they plot to kill him, as brothers do. And they, but instead of actually killing him, they send him off to slavery down into Egypt. They lie to their father and say, oh, Joseph's dead. But really, they've sold him off into slavery. And we follow Joseph's story through. He becomes a slave. He works in the house, but then gets promoted through the house. Then the wife of the master of the house accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in prison. He's now in prison. He interprets dreams in prison. God gives him that ability, um, but they forget him. And then suddenly one of the people who interprets his dream for remembers him. He finds himself standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He then goes from being prison to prime minister of Egypt in like a blink of an eye. He's suddenly the second most powerful man in the world running this. And he's interpreted Pharaoh's dream and say, there's a famine coming. You need to store up grain for seven good years, and then when the seven bad years of famine come, you'll have enough food to feed your people, but also those around you who are suffering from the famine. And this is where we've got to today. He's now um, Prime Minister of Egypt. The famine has hit. He's stored up all his gr- this grain, but the world is now coming to Joseph to be fed Because they haven't got any food. And we pick it up at the beginning of chapter 42. And the brothers who've been kind of disappeared since the beginning of our story after they just wanted him killed and sold him off to slavery come back into the story and their father Jacob. So chapter 42 verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where did you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. 
He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and there is no one more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I have said to you, you are spies, but this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that what we saw in the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered him, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there's a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound them before his eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack. And he gave them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed. And as one of them opened the sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At their heart fails, and they turned trembling to one another. What has God done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us, and he took us as spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine back to your household." And go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. And as they emptied their sack, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack. When they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of, of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he has only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you make, you should bring me down with my gray hairs to sorrow in Sheol. Now the famine was even severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to him, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down to buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why do you treat me so badly as to tell me the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in the answer to these questions. Could we have in any way known what he would say? Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and I will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will pledge us of his safety. For my hand you will require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever." 
If we had not delayed, we would not have returned. We would not have. We would now, sorry, have returned twice. Then his father Israel said to him, "If it is must be so, then do this: take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man: a little balm, a little um, honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you." Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and rise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send, you, um, send back your brother and Benjamin. As for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So the men took the presents, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin, and arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal. I make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. And the man did just as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, Is it because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we're brought in, so that we may result us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys? So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when he came to the lodging place, he opened our sacks, and there was the man's money in the mouth of the sacks. Our money is full, excuse me, full weight. So we have brought it with us again, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they washed their face and had given their donkeys fodder. They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. They had heard that they, they should eat bread together. When Joseph came, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him with the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, and the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Whew! Whew! Okay, the story trots on. We just nailed two chapters there. Big idea today. We're called to fix things. As followers of Jesus, we are called to fix things. Okay, the situation of Joseph. He's about 20 years have passed since he was sold into slavery. That's an awful long time, more than half his life. He's now about 37-ish. He is now the second most powerful man in the world governing Egypt in a time of massive national crisis because there is no food. Thankfully, because of what God has said, they've built up stores, but it's not just them. It's all the lands around, including Canaan, where his family is from. People are running out of grain to eat, and people are starving. So they're coming to him to buy food. And one day, his brothers turn up, and they're there in front of him as one of the group, among many, I imagine, trying to buy food for him. And Joseph sees them. What kind of emotions do you think Joseph would have gone through? They're my brothers. Oh, that's right, they tried to kill me. 
They tried to, they sold me into slavery. I went through the horror of being a slave sent to a foreign na- nation. I was a slave in Potiphar's house and then the incident with Potiphar's wife. Then I was in prison for years. I interpreted dreams and didn't get left out. But now I'm kind of out and I'm now in a position of great power. Kind of, what would you have done in that situation? And what's more, the brothers were coming to him for help. They didn't know it was Joseph, but they were now coming to him with help. This is a volatile situation, if you can imagine Joseph. It's suddenly, okay, guys, the tables are turned. You're coming to me for food, your very life you're asking for, because if I don't sell you food, you're going to die, because you've got nothing to eat. And I can do this about him. Joseph's family situation at this time was a mess. He's got siblings who had wronged him, not just by stealing his toys, but by trying to kill him. He's got a father who's still playing favours, did you notice? I'll keep Benjamin back. You ten can go. <laughs> Cheers, Dad. You know. So he's still, he's still a problem. So his family situation is a mess, and Joseph is in a position to exact some righteous judgment on them. What's your family situation like? Can you identify with this? What's your family situation? Is there any messes in your family? Are there relationships that are broken in your family? Are there situations that just aren't talked about because something has gone wrong in the past? Maybe something more recent. Are there elephants in the room? Is there tension when you meet? And because it's a family situation, we kind of try and gloss over it because we want to be nice together for family, but there's an unresolved issue with it because this is where Joseph is. And he sets out to try and fix the situation. He sets out to try and fix it. He does this elaborate ruse. He, he starts accusing them of spies, and then we, he sends them away, and he keeps Simeon, and, and things are going on. But what Joseph is trying to do is trying to fix what's gone wrong. There's been a relational breakdown in the family, and he is trying to sort it out. And there's two things here. We're going to look at one of them, but it's worth um, kind of talking about both. Forgiveness and reconciliation, which is just the, the posh word of saying fixing things. Forgiveness... It requires one person. For you to forgive somebody, something they've done, it just requires you. Because the person you need to forgive, you may not know anymore. They may be somewhere else because something's happened in your past. They may even be dead. But it's something that you do where you say, I'm going to forgive them. I'm choosing to not hold something against them, not let it affect how I think about them. And it's a gift of grace from God, but it's something we can work through. Reconciliation requires two. To reconcile, you need two people or two parties to come together to work things out. And what Joseph's done, if we notice in his life, he's actually gone through the process of forgiveness because even if he looked at last time how he named his children, he'd got married. When he became prime minister, he had two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the way he'd named them is actually about, I'm forgetting the hardship that has been given to me. I'm kind of putting down the old stuff in my life and actually enjoying what God is doing with me now. So in the sense of he's dealt with himself, he's dealt with what's wrong with him, but he suddenly finds his, God brings his brothers back into his life. He's like, actually, now I've got a different problem. Can I reconcile with them? And he, he goes about actually saying, how am I going to do this? And I want to look at three things that Joseph does to seek to bring about reconciliation with his brothers. The first thing is that he was patient. Joseph was patient. Reconciliation takes time. If you want to reconcile a relationship, and depending on the When the incident happened and the nature of the incident, how kind of big you want to rate it on a scale, will mean it will take more time. 
it will take more time. Um, but Joseph recognized that what happened here, many years have passed, 20 years have passed, and the incident in question was, you tried to kill me. So I think that rates up the scale. He recognized this is going to take time. And so what he does, if we follow the story, there's, um, he sent them away and then they came back and there was the feasting at the end of it. He was recognizing it was taking, it's going to take some time and investment to build this up. He wasn't expecting instant change and instant reconciliation um, in, in, in what is happening with his brothers. We read two chapters today and if we've got to follow the story next week, actually they haven't fully kind of got there. He's still working through the process and we'll see how it comes to fruition next time. He's building up a relationship. He's building up trust with them against, uh, with each other. And the difficulty for us is we live in an instant culture. We live in an instant culture where everything is now. Everything, they want it done now. Everything's getting faster and people want it done faster, and it can go from everything, how quick we get our food, how quick we get things delivered through Amazon. We've got the Amazon Prime thing, which we had a year ago, or something that they, they deliver everything the next day. Do you know what? I ordered something the other day and thought, man, I've got to wait till tomorrow for it. And then suddenly like, what has just happened to me? I'm waiting for the drone system they're setting up now where you can get things in an hour and it'll, just, it'll come to my door and I'll have to stand and catch it or something like that. I also had this conversation uh, with uh, Virgin Media. They do our, our broadband. And I got you know, the sales call. Mr. Crane, you've been chosen and selected to have this new offer to upgrade your broadband. It is this, you know, this many megabytes. We want to double it to this many megabytes. And I'm like, really? I said, he said, he said, he said, I said I'm in I'm front of my computer now and I, I load a web page and it loads. He said, how long does that take you, Mr. Crane? I said, about a second from me going click to it appearing. And he says, well, guess what? We can make that faster, Mr. Crane. I'm like, really? Really, can you? And he said, yeah, we could do it like in half a second. I'm like, seriously? I don't think I need it that quick. But this guy was really keen that we could make your you know, gazillion megabytes, you know, push it down the fiber optic, whatever. And I'm just like, no, I'm fine with my one second. You know, that extra half second of my life that I would gain from that click. Do you know what? I'll just, I'm happy to leave that for now. And if, um, if you've got small children, one of the hardest things I've found with little kids to tell them is not to eat your greens, it's not tidy your room. It's not play nice with your brother. One of the hardest things you can tell a five-year-old or a three-year-old is wait. Just say, I will get you that. Just wait three seconds, and they just go into patty meltdown. Asher does this one thing, which I love. It's one of my favorite things he does, even though it's not nice. He's something, he does something called the slow crumple. When I say no to him or wait, he suddenly does this, <laughs> and he does that, and he's on the floor, and I'm like, dude, I said, well, yes, you can have an ice cream, I just need to put something down before I can open the freezer door and give it to you, do you know what I mean? But the idea of waiting for that long for him is just is traumatic um, for him, and we live in this society where everything's got to be now, it's got to be now, instant, but when you're reconciling relationships, it takes time. And we have to invest time and energy and effort into it. And I've been through this re recently. In fact, I'm actually still going through it. And that is, um, there was some instant I came up with some other people I've got working through with my job. So these are Christians, people I know, other people in leadership. And there was a, we had a, a kind of a disagreement and our, our relationship kind of just soured um, over things that were said, misunderstandings. And I decided, look, and it was actually... It was almost a year ago, I said, I've got to do something about this. It just, it's almost like we're getting distance, there's a little bit of tension. Nothing too bad, but it's, I can see where it's going. 
And I, and I, I made some phone calls. I'm coming to see you. We need to talk about these things. And we had a really honest, frank conversation. And they said some things, and I said things, and they apologized, and I apologized. And we, we worked it through. But even since then, we're still, I'm still working and thinking it doesn't instantly change overnight. We've got to keep working at it. We've got to keep going at it. And as, as time's gone on, I think things have got better. We're going to clear the air. Things are, are working. But actually... I think we've still got a way to go, and I'm trying to be patient with it, and I'm trying to think, okay, this isn't going to happen instantly. I need to keep working, keep going at it, keep standing in it. And if you're in that situation where you're like, I've got to be patient, what sort of things can you do? Let me give you a few things to bear in mind when you're in that season of waiting, being patient. The first one, trust God. Trust God. God wants you reconciled more than you do. God wants you to be reconciled in relationships more than you ever could. And so ultimately we need to come back to God and say, God, you are working in this situation. We need to play our part. Whatever God's asked us to do, sometimes that's to go and talk. We need to go and talk to someone. Sometimes it's to listen. Someone needs to talk to us and we need to close our mouths and open our ears and listen to what they've got to say. Sometimes it's just to wait. Actually, just, I'm just going to wait on this one because... Things take time, things need to process, people need to kind of rest and things need to settle and actually they need to kind of work through and that thing can take time um, about, about it. So we need to do those things to kind of work it through. What's the next thing Joseph did? He was gracious. He was gracious. Grace means unmerited favor. Joseph saw his brothers come before him and they deserve something. Do you hear how they describe themselves several times in the passage? What did the brothers say about themselves? We are honest men. <laughs> you liars. You lie. You try to kill your brothers. And you sold them into slavery. We're honest men. And, and, and I, I find it fascinating in terms of how Joseph kind of reacts to them. Because there's, the one thing that's not in there is what did he not do? He didn't yell, guards, <laughs> arrest those men. And they, don't even, they might say, what's the charge? The charge is, I'm the prime minister. It doesn't matter. String them up. Put them in prison. Beat them. Whatever it is. Joseph could have done any of those things. He was second only to Pharaoh. He could have just had them all killed and felt a lot better for himself, briefly, for that. He didn't do that. What did he do to them? It says he, he returned the money to them. So the money they paid for the grain, he gave it back. So effectively, they got free food. He gave them provisions for the journey as well. So they left with the money they'd came with anyway, the food they'd got, and because it was kind of an overnight journey to get back to where they were, so they'd stop in lodgings on the way, he'd given them provisions for the journey. When they came back again a second time with Benjamin, and he saw them coming, what did he say to his steward? Kill the animal. Get the, we're going to have a feast. And he, he set up a, a mega meal for these guys. And he said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bless them. And I'm going to kind of do good to them. And these were guys who had completely wronged him. And I think one of the things that enabled him to do it was because he had dealt with his forgiveness. But still, I, I think legally he had a case. He could have, you know, prosecuted them and stuff. They had done something wrong. But God, he, um, Joseph decided to be gracious towards them. And to be good towards them and say, actually, how can I, how can I seek their good in this situation? And, and he did it. And he, and he acted on it. And when we are in these situations, when we're being patient, trying to fix reconciliation or, you know, with people, we need to seek to be gracious to them. 
How do we go about being gracious to people? Here's one of the ones I think I've found the hardest. Pray for them. Can you pray for someone who you're really wound up about because they've done something to you? That's a tough one, isn't it? To actually pray for them. And by the way, when I say pray for them, the pray for them is don't pray for God's righteous judgment on them. God smite them. <laughs> Here's their sin. I'll pray for you. Oh boy, I'll pray for you. I'm going Old Testament on you. <laughs> Let's read those curses for disobedience. Deuteronomy 28. All right, I'll list them all. And no. Pray for their good. God, would you bless them? And would you give them your peace and fill them with your spirit? And if they're involved in you know, whatever they're doing, if they're Christians in the ministry, God, just bless them. Or if they work, bless them in the workplace, Lord. Can you do that? That's hard. What about speaking well about them? And speaking their good and speaking, you know, being encouraging about them when you talk about them to others. That's another tough one. And if they're in a kind of an environment where you actually see them, because sometimes these are people outside, but if they're in your sphere and they walk into someone in work or some situation, can you actually be good to them? Can you do positive things for them uh, and be encouraged, you know, on them in that way? Because that's how Joseph. uh, kind of exhibited himself towards his brothers. And the last thing, he said he was looking for a change of heart. Joseph had a good opportunity to watch his brothers in action. Do you notice in there, there was obviously um, a language barrier. Joseph, obviously, in his time in Egypt, had learned the language, which had been different to what they'd spoken in Canaan. And it said he spoke them through an interpreter later on in the story. So even from the get-go, when they'd come to Joseph for food... They'd obviously had to go through an interpreter in the first place. And there's a, 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 there's a scene where he's chucked him in prison for three days. Still working through some of his forgiveness areas, probably. Chucked him in prison, and it's right, okay, okay, I'm not just going to send one of you back to get Benjamin. I'm going to send all of you back bar one. And Simeon got chosen. And um, they're, they're talking in the prison, and what are they saying? They're saying, one of them, Reuben's saying, actually, this is, this is kind of God's reckoning coming back to us how we treated that boy, he refers to him because he would have been 17 at the time, how we treated that boy is coming back and we shouldn't have done it and I warned you. And, and there's a change happening in the brothers right before Joseph's eye. And Joseph, they think, can't understand him because through the interpreter because they're talking amongst themselves. Think, well, he's an Egyptian. He, couldn't, he can't understand what we're saying. How does Joseph react to this? He says he went away and wept, didn't he? he? He's seeing something in his brothers. There's a change going on in them over what they've done. There's a, there's a repentance coming through. There's, a, there's actually, actually, we're going, we're, 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 we're kind of dealing with what we have done. The sins of our past are kind of coming to the surface and they're having a, a change of heart. We don't know anything about the brothers, what they've been doing in those intervening 20 years. Did they have sleepless nights? Was God prompting them, saying actually what you did? was sinful. Um, we don't know those things, but there's an evidence here of something's coming through. And when we're looking at <clears throat> changes of heart in reconciliation, we need to be uncompromising in that. There needs to be a change. For reconciliation, if there's been a breakdown, if there's been conflict, if there's been something done, change needs to happen. It needs to be acknowledged. Sin needs to be acknowledged. Wrong needs to be acknowledged. Repentance needs to come to the fore. Things need to be honest. Say, yes, I did that. I said that. I acted that way. And I recognize that was wrong now. And Joseph was looking for that in his brothers. And he sees kind of the evidence of God working in their lives. And what all this kind of thing leads us to is why should we be like this? 
Why should we be patient and gracious and looking for heart change when we're coming to reconcile? Why should we bother to be like that? Well, the only answer I could come with is because that's the way God treats us. That's the way God treats us. Because the ultimate thing that needs fixing is the reconciliation of man to God. And in this picture, if you take this picture, we stand with the brothers. We stand there, guilty, before the governor, the prime minister, the lord of eternity. We stand guilty as men and women. And how does God deal with us? We have failed his perfect standards. We have fallen short of his glory, it said. We've all committed things which we know are wrong. And where compared to perfection, we all fall short. And what does it say God has done with us? Well, he's been patient with us. It says, The Lord is not slow to fill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 God is patient with us. Personally and kind of corporately as humanity, he is wanting men and women to come to him. And the fact that we're not all just been wiped out under judgment is evidence of his patience. Second thing, he is gracious to us. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What's the ultimate example of this? Jesus. God himself came to earth as a man and lived as a man and then died as a man on the cross. Both fully God, fully man, he died in our place for our sins. So we don't have to. Took the punishment we deserved. He made a way. So we can come to it, we sing about it, we preach about it. God has been gracious to us. And then what else is God looking for? He's looking for a change of heart. A change of heart. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew 4, 17. The message of Jesus, the message of the the Bible is to repent. It means to turn around. It means to change. It means to, to go the other way. A change of heart. And God is uncompromising in that. He wants change. He wants change in your heart. He wants acknowledgement of your sin and acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. And he will come and he will do that. But when, he, when you do, when we have that change of heart, we receive grace, we receive mercy, we receive forgiveness from him. So all we, God is asking us to do is treat others the way we've been treated. The grace we've received, the forgiveness we've received as believers is what we kind of add on to others. It says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you. Sometimes things are out of your control. But as far as it depends on you. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, we should be the people who are trying to fix things the most. Relationship breakdowns in our own life, those around us encouraging it, Seek to live in peace. Now, sometimes it isn't possible, but that shouldn't be through our lack of effort and our inability and our just our kind of our laziness or passivity. We are called to build those relationships, to, to reconcile where we can, to fix what we can by God's grace in our lives. And that's what, what we're to do. And it's just merely a, just a kind of a, a following on of what God's done with us because that's how he's done it in our life. He came to us. He was patient with us. Think about how you became a Christian. How many times did you hear the message? How many times did friends or parents or co-workers say things to you and you said, later, another time? God said, I'm just going to keep going because I love you. 
I'm for you. And he gave us grace in Christ. He gives us grace daily. And it ultimately led to our change of heart so we can become believers in him. Do you want to just stand up? I'm just going to lead us kind of in a response to that. There's three things I just want us to just process together. And some of these, one or more of these may apply to you. So maybe you just want to close your <clears throat> eyes. Holy Spirit, would you come just have your way amongst us now? The first thing I want to talk about is, is guilt. Because in this story, if we just look at the brothers for a moment, they suddenly found themselves in a difficult situation. What's the first thing that hit them? Guilt. <laughs> Stuff that had gone on in their life. I mean, why on earth would they suddenly think of something that happened 20 years ago unless it was bothering them on a level? And this is kind of the other side. Maybe you're the guilty party. Maybe you think you've done things that need to be sorted out. And if you're like that, if you're suffering under guilt now before God, I just want to remind you of a few things. Um, it says in uh, was it 1 John 1, 4, it says... Um, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, but the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you're in that position now of guilt, I just want you to bring that before God and say, God, this is the thing. Because God doesn't want us to occupy under guilt. That's what we have Christ. He's dealt with that. We don't stand under condemnation. There's none of that in Christ Jesus because Jesus has dealt with it. We need to acknowledge it and we need to receive that forgiveness. So if there's something in your life that you're feeling under guilt for, why don't you just talk about it to God now and ask for his forgiveness. Repent, turn around and say, I'm going to go the other way on that. Second thing is forgiveness. This gets a little bit more challenging as we go on. Are there people you need to forgive? Let's be very clear. We're not excusing people's actions. What the brothers did in the story was horrific. That was sinful, it was evil, it was wrong. Whatever kind of word you want to put around it, that's what it was. We're not excusing that. What we're talking about is your response to those actions. We are called to forgive because we too have been forgiven much. We've been forgiven everything, past, present, future, in Christ. And we have an eternity this year, and God calls us to forgive others, to not hold it against them. Are there things in your life where you think, I need to forgive that? Now, this is an action of one. This is you and Jesus working this through together. This doesn't kind of depend on another person. It depends on how you are going to approach and deal with them. And so is there people you need to forgive? Are there, is there a process now? And it's, this one's quite an easy one because if they are, you're thinking about them. <laughs> and the question is, what are you going to do with that? And if it is, you just need to start acknowledging that for Jesus. This too can be a process. But actually, just make a stand and account that. I will forgive, name them, what they've done. And I will choose not to hold that against them. I will choose not to put that into your hands, God. You're, you're, the, you're the great judge. I will not be the one who seeks judgment over them. I'll leave that with you. Jesus. And the last one. Reconciliation. What do you need to fix? 
Are there relationships in your life, in your family, in your uh, workplace, friendship circles that need fixing? <clears throat> are they current or are they, you know, they could be old. They could be 5, 10, 15 years old. They could be, you know, are there, are, there, are there people you need to speak to? Are there phone calls you need to make? Are there letters you need to write? Are there people you need to call and say, I'm gonna, I want to come and see you and talk about this or go and work this out? If God's provoking you about that, I want to pray specifically for you, for them, because that's not really something you can do in this room, <laughs> unless, ironically, the person you need to reconcile is in this room. <laughs> then you can talk to them afterwards. But if they're, they're usually probably outside this room, I want to just pray for God's grace on you to help with that process, because you can't do it alone. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you came and made a way for us. Lord God, we thank you that when we were far from you, you showed us patience. You were gracious to us when we so did not deserve it. And you came and sought reconciliation with us. You fixed what was broken. The relationship between man and God, you made a way and you bid us come. You called us again and again. And we thank you for your loving grace that has chased us all our lives. We thank you that you brought us to this place even this morning by your grace. Lord Jesus, and Lord, where people are bound in guilt, we pray you bring forgiveness. We pray you bring freedom from that for what they've done when they repent for their sins. Lord, we pray you bring release this morning. For those who need to receive uh, forgiveness in themselves or forgive others for what they've done, God, we pray you pour that out. And there'll be a release even this morning of actually acknowledging and handing something over to you and saying, I will not take responsibility for that. We're not excusing actions, but we're giving it over to you, Jesus. We pray you bring grace to forgive those who have hurt us. Or even, I've just been reminded this, sometimes we need to forgive people who've hurt people we love. You ever been through that one? They haven't actually wronged you, but they've wronged someone you love. Your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, and actually we hold something almost on behalf of someone else, which can be a tough one. Lord, we pray you bring release there and <clears throat> enable us to forgive those. What about reconciliation? God, we ask for your grace on us that we would be a people, we'd be known as a people who fix things, who pursue relationships, who pursue um, reconciliation, knowing that it will take time, energy, and effort, and it is not easy, but we're knowing that once we're on the other side, the rewards are wonderful when we get there. Lord Jesus, we pray for your grace on us as a people. And we thank you that you made the effort with us, that we might know you. You are an awesome and amazing God, and we thank you you do not leave us alone in this. You walk with us every step of the way. And God's people said, amen, amen. I'm aware, can the band come up and get ready? We're going to just spend some time worshiping Jesus. I'm aware that <clears throat> that stuff isn't necessarily quick and easy. God does works in moments, but I'm aware that out the back of that, there is work to be done and if there are people you need to talk to or just even people to pray with you and work with you through this please grab them we might get some time at the end of the meeting but actually don't leave what God has started here with you today um, to work through and seek to fix what has been broken in your life or those around you Amen Amen, Amen. You ready Dave? <laughs>